upgrades, downgrades, and disqualifications. This week I'm talking all about the United States Grand Prix. So get ready, because you've been summoned to the steward's office. Hello everyone, and welcome back to the steward's office. I'm Syrah and this week we're talking all about the United States Grand Prix at the Circuit of the Americas, or COTA. This is the first race in a triple header, our last triple header of the season, the first of the last five races of the season, and there's still a lot on the line. Even though Max has sealed the Drivers' Championship and Red Bull have sealed the Constructors', there are still battles going up and down the grid for both the Drivers' and the Constructors' Championship, and there's just a lot on the line for a lot of these teams. Now, I normally go through the new cycle in Formula 1 before a race weekend, and to be honest with you, it was a fairly quiet new cycle. I feel like we've had a lot more rumours and gossip coming out in the run-up to this race, really. But I think what was the only... Real proper piece of news that we had before this race weekend was the fact that Daniel Ricciardo would be returning to Formula 1 with AlphaTauri at the United States Grand Prix. He had healed up properly after he had broken his wrist in an incident with Oscar Piastri a couple of races ago and was fully fit and ready to get back in the car. So amazing news to Daniel Ricciardo fans and obviously yes, that did mean that Liam Lawson would be vacated in that AlphaTauri seat. But other than that, Yeah, there was just a lot of gossip and rumours, and it was mainly surrounding Red Bull. A lot of rumours, as has been the case this season, about Sergio Perez, and just how likely it is that he'll keep his seat for the 2024 season. Latest rumours are that if he doesn't secure P2 in the championship and Lewis Hamilton ends up taking that, then he won't be driving with Red Bull next year. Red Bull and Christian Horner and Sergio Perez have rubbished those claims and said, nope, he is going to be racing in 2024 with Red Bull. Doesn't matter if he doesn't get P2 or not. Obviously, P2 is the aim, though. Red Bull want to get a P1 and 2 in the Drivers' Championship because they've never actually managed to do that. But there were a whole host of new rumours that I was not expecting to hear in the media at all. And these weren't to do with Sergio Perez at all. These were all to do with Helmut Marko and his position in that Red Bull team. Now, Helmut Marko, I can't lie, I don't really know what his role is within the Red Bull family. And from what I hear, a lot of teams are thinking the same way as me. They're not entirely sure what his role and what his sort of title really is in Red Bull. He does overlook a lot of the Red Bull junior drivers and sort of figuring out where the talent lies with those drivers. Are they ready to come up into AlphaTauri and into the Red Bull seat? But regardless of all that, he is a big point in that Red Bull family. He's been there for a very, very long time. You associate him with Red Bull now. You know you'll see him around the garage. So yeah, he is just one of those people that you know is part of Red Bull. And there were just rumours coming out over the past week or so about the fact that Christian Horner was trying to get rid of Helmut Marco, that he didn't want him to work with the team anymore, that Max Verstappen had turned around and said, well, if Helmut Marco leaves, I'm going to leave. 
I have no idea how, when, where or why these rumours started because I can get where the Sergio Perez rumours come from given his form this season. But the Helmut Marco one seemed really random to me almost. And yeah, the thing is, he has a history of making unsavoury comments into the press, unhelpful comments into the press and sometimes racist comments into the press. But it's not something Red Bull have necessarily pulled him up on publicly, right? They might have had words with him behind the scenes, but it's not something that we've really heard them make a big statement about or really reprimand him in public. And as far as I know, these rumours haven't even come off the back of one of the comments that he has made within the last week or so. I feel like he has actually been quieter in the press since he made those Sergio Perez comments. At least from what I've seen in the British press, I don't know about Austrian and German press whether he's still quite vocal. But yeah, on the British side of things, I feel like it's been a lot quieter. And I'm not seeing his name crop up in F1 publications as much. But yeah, a little bit left to feel, not something I was expecting to read about. And Red Bull, Max, Helmut, Christian, Sky F1, Tin Run being like, there are no issues here. Everything is fine. Helmut Marco saying, yeah, you know, we're a dominant team and people just want to make a blaze about us. So yeah, no clue what is going on there who and why those rumours started. Like I said, not a whole load news-wise, but a lot of stuff in terms of rumour and gossip. Going into this race weekend, though, I do just want to point out before we start talking about F1, the fact that the Formula 1 Academy finally had their races aired live. They were the support race for Formula 1 this weekend. It was their closing race of the season as well, their closing race weekend. And they finally showed these races live. A huge, huge step forward for the F1 Academy. It's going to really help raise awareness of the F1 Academy, help encourage young girls and women into motorsport, because when you see it, you believe you can actually do it. And that is so, so important. And it's something I do believe that one of the biggest ways we can encourage people into jobs and into professions that they might not necessarily have thought of or thought were welcoming them is by showing them that other people that look like them, who have the same background as them, are doing these things. So super, super exciting to see F1 Academy live on our screens and we were able to follow their entire race weekend, their practices, their two qualities and their three races. They've also released their 2024 calendar. All of their races are going to be support races for Formula One, which is going to be so helpful. And I'm pretty sure all of them are also going to be shown live as well. So I am really, really hoping that this is a massive step forward for women in motorsport, for the F1 Academy. And I hope it just brings us that one step closer into seeing these women who are driving in the F1 Academy into Formula 3, into Formula 2 and eventually into Formula 1. That is the main aim of the F1 Academy, not just to leave these girls racing in these cars, but to see them pull up through the ranks and eventually aim for Formula 1. Now, going into Formula One, right, we had a good couple of upgrades from teams coming into this race weekend, so let's cover that first. So let's start off with AlphaTauri, who are bringing a new floor, floor fences, floor edge, engine cover, rear corner, and a chassis, and this was in an attempt to increase downforce and improve cooling on their car. 
Aston Martin, we're bringing a new floor edge, a diffuser, an engine cover, and a beam wing in an attempt to improve downforce. Alfa Romeo are bringing a couple of things in, which were a new floor edge, and were meant to just really help progress what their Singapore upgrade package was. Mercedes were bringing in a new floor and a floor edge and the main reason that they were bringing this in was basically to help them with their 2024 package. If this floor worked for them, they were planning on carrying that on into 2024 or at least give them more direction for that car. And then finally we had Haas who had probably the biggest upgrade package out of everyone or definitely one of the biggest upgrade packages. They had a new front corner, a floor, a floor edge, a side pod inlet, an engine cover and engine cooling. And for Haas, this was essentially a brand new car concept. They were following the Red Bull philosophy a little bit more. And Kevin Magnussen was saying that this was a package and a concept that they would be taking into 2024. So that's five teams, half of the teams on the grid that were bringing in new upgrades. Mercedes and Lewis Hamilton had said, yeah, this is going to be the last big, big upgrade that we bring now. We might bring a couple of small things. I'm assuming things that might be circuit specific, but no big upgrade packages for them anymore. And I'm going to assume that's the same with the rest of the teams. I'll be very surprised if any of those teams bring in a substantial upgrade package to any of the other races. Let's get into the nitty gritty of this race weekend though. So as usual, let's look at some of the highlights from each of the sessions during this race weekend and then we'll do a bit more of a dive into each of the teams and how they did. Looking at FP1 and actually let's just call it free practice because this was a sprint weekend. The teams and the drivers were only going to have a one single practice session on a Friday morning for them to figure out what their setup was going to be if they had got the car in the right setup and what the tyres were going to really behave like during the race. And for those five teams with upgrades, this was going to be such a key session because they were bringing in new parts to their car that they hadn't tried out before. They only had sort of simulations that they had run back at factories to really compare things with. So they were going into their only practice session of this weekend with a lot of unknowns because all of these teams had brought quite a couple of bits or, in the case of Mercedes, one very substantial floor to test out at this practice session. And it was a very unlucky time for Lance Stroll because, yep, the Aston Martin had brought quite a couple of upgrades and he was in his garage quite early on during the free practice session and then ended up with about 30 minutes left coming out of the car and his free practice session being over. He had high front brake temperatures. Fernando Alonso had gone in but had managed to get his front brake sorted to go back out. But yeah, they needed to get work done to Lance Stroll's car and it meant that he wasn't going to be able to carry on in free practice. And after the season he's had, after his last race out in Qatar, this was not great for him. This was not great for Aston Martin. Other than that, I think we had a little spin from Oscar Piastri during free practice. And then it was quite tame. I think most drivers and most teams were just looking to get as much data as they could. Like I mentioned, the teams with the upgrades really needed to get that data to figure out what this new balance needed to be like and if the upgrades were going to work for them. So a fairly tame FP1 session, other than Lance Stroll having to miss out on the majority of it, 
Fernando Alonso having to get his front right brake sorted and Oscar Piastri's little spin. And then we went into qualifying that afternoon and I know I've mentioned it before but a sprint weekend just spins me out a little bit guys. We have practice and we go straight into quali. I like being eased into quali with three practice sessions. I like reading all the data from practices but there is a lot more action on track I guess during a sprint weekend. So yeah we had Q1 on the second session on Friday and a mixture of cars going on used softs and new soft tyres. So an interesting strategy from some teams there. Kevin Magnussen had some very, very last minute changes to his car for his setup, but they managed to get it done in time for him to go out in quali because whatever setup they ran then in quali, it was going to be locked in for Park Fermi, but they managed to get all of that sorted out for him. Top three from that were Lewis Hamilton, Lando Norris and Max Verstappen. So the Mercedes and the McLaren showing pretty good pace during Q1. We did end up seeing, though, both Williams out in Q1. And it's the first time since summer break that Williams have been knocked out in Q1 with both of their cars, which for me, I think, is still just a testimony to how hard this Williams team has been working with their car, how hard their drivers, and in particular right now, Alex Albon, has been working with that car to get performance out of it. This is the first time since summer break that both of them have been kicked out. I mean, there were times over the past couple of seasons where this was just consistent for Williams and getting kicked out of Q1. I think the biggest shock, I would say, in Q1 was the fact that both Aston Martins also got knocked out of Q1. And it is the first time this season we have seen both Astons out in Q1. For a car that has brought quite a lot of upgrades that has brought upgrades throughout the season that started the season so strongly to be knocked out in Q1 Fernando Alonso and Lance Stroll that's got to be quite concerning for your engineers and for your drivers and the team as a whole but I will get into Aston Martin and their upgrades which have often felt more like downgrades in the latter part of this season let's be honest but yes I will be talking about them a little bit more in depth later. Q2 we saw both AlphaTauri's actually go through into Q2 which was really really good news for them especially for Daniel Ricciardo obviously having missed most of the season anyway when he didn't have a seat coming back for I think two races and then having to go off with a broken wrist and then to come back the car has substantially changed since the last time he was in it. And to get that car into Q2 was really, really good. They did both end up getting knocked out of Q2, though. They couldn't progress into Q3. But I think this is progress for AlphaTauri at the very least. Top three from that session were Leclerc, Verstappen and Hamilton. And then in Q3... We had Charles Leclerc take pole position, Lando Norris in second, and Lewis Hamilton in third. Now, Max Verstappen did have pole position for a second, but he'd gotten pole position and had, during that lap, gone over the white line, track limits violation, time got deleted, and he would be starting Sunday's race in sixth place. Alpine didn't actually have a bad quality session either. They had 7th and 8th place on the grid. So they both got into Q3 and they were starting alongside each other. So Kota was going well for them at this point. 
Then we went into Sprint Quali or Sprint Shootout. I don't know what we call it anymore. I'm pretty sure it's still noted as SQ1 to 3 on the timing screens. But yes, Sprint Shootout, Sprint Quali, whatever you want to call it. That was Saturday. That was the first session on the Saturday. We had in SQ1, George Russell being investigated as he impeded Charles Leclerc. That was going to be looked at after the session. And he did end up getting a three-place grid penalty for that, which I do agree with. The impeding was quite bad. Apparently, the team had told him a couple of seconds before that Charles was coming up and that he was basically going to need to move out of the way. But yeah, ended up impeding Leclerc and got a three-place grid drop for the sprint because of that and then our top three after sprint quality were max verstappen charles leclerc and lewis hamilton and those three drivers were separated by less than a tenth of a second which was insane but those are the kind of margins you really want to see in formula one especially considering that all three of them came from different teams we had a red bull a ferrari and a mercedes For me, as a Formula 1 fan, I want to see those tiny margins between drivers. I want to see that sort of competitive racing and competitive quality stints. Because that could have been anyone's pole position. I think it was just who was going to be able to put together the tidiest lap, who was going to get out on track at the right time, and their tyres were in the perfect window, and all those sort of little nitty-gritty bits. But those fine, fine margins were just really, really exciting to watch. Then we got to the sprint race and like I said, yep, George Russell was given a three-place grid penalty for impeding during that sprint quality with Charles Leclerc. Opening lap of the sprint and we saw Aston Martin battling with Haas. Definitely not a scene I was expecting to see considering where we were at the beginning of the season. Let's be honest, Haas and Aston Martin battling was very last year. It's very out of fashion now, but it was. We saw them more towards the back of the field in 2022 and 2021 the beginning of 2023 just looked like it was going to be such a different story for them and yet we've come to Cota and they're battling with Haas and don't get me wrong that was partially because Haas were also showing better straight line speed with this new upgrade package though Lewis had a great couple of opening laps during the sprint he had gotten past Charles Leclerc, dropped that Ferrari very, very quickly, and then kept the DRS range of Max for a good couple of laps. And that's not something we've seen Mercedes really be able to do this season. And yes, it wasn't something that was very prolonged. He wasn't able to keep it up throughout the entire sprint. But to be able to do that even for a couple of laps was quite promising. This was probably one of the quietest sprint races that we've had, though. And even the commentators were saying it. Crofty and Martin Brundle both said that, yeah, this wasn't the most exciting of sprint races. We did end up seeing Lance Stroll on lap 17 saying he was going to have to box because he had no brakes. And he ended up retiring from the sprint race. So I feel that's probably because of the issue that he had in FP1 that was just sort of carrying on. Didn't really rear its head in sprint quality, but I think the prolonged running with the tyres in the car during a sprint was just not making his brakes happy. Oscar Piastri ended up having damage after contact with Carlos Sainz. That slowed his pace a little bit, on top of the fact that he had cocked the tyres very early on and that wasn't helping him either. 
Oh yeah, and George Russell also got given a five-second time penalty for leaving the track and gaining an advantage. That was two penalties that he received in one day in two different sessions. So Saturday was not the best day for George Russell, but he still did manage to take home one point. Then we got into the actual race on Sunday, and we had both Aston Martins and both Haas cars starting from the pit lane. Haas were using a new spec rear wing on their cars, which meant they were going to have to start from the pit lane. And Aston Martin were also using a different spec, but of a couple of different parts for both of their cars, which were causing them to also start from the pit lane. But this is where it got interesting for Aston Martin, right? Because Eric Blandin, who works with the team in a very senior role, turned around and said that Aston Martin were going to be using this race as a test race because their cars were running two different specs. Lance Stroll would be running the newer upgrades, the spec that they had brought for Austin, for Cota, and Fernando Alonso would be running the Qatar spec upgrade. So whatever they were running in Qatar, that was what he would have on his car. They wanted to do some basically back-to-back testing, be able to really compare and contrast what was working on the car and what wasn't, aerodynamically what was going to be more efficient. So they were just going to use this entire race as a test. Lights out though, and Lando Norris got a very, very good start ahead of Charles Leclerc and took the race lead. Ocon ended up having contact with Oscar Piastri on that opening lap, and he ended up reporting damage to his side pod of the Alpine. By lap five, he had dropped down to 18th place after running in about eighth, ninth place at the start. Lap six, he was down in 20th, and on lap seven, he ended up having to DNF. There was no way that Alpine could keep that car running. He was lapping six seconds slower than everyone else on the grid. So yeah, the aero damage that punctured his side pod had done was not helping him. There was just no point in running him. They weren't going to get any good data all they were going to do is unnecessarily run that engine and that gearbox when they could save that for the last couple of races in the calendar extremely extremely bad luck for Esteban Ocon and Alpine who have a lot of new investors coming in so so many new investors big names in sport coming in they had Anthony Joshua at the racetrack with them in the garage and they've got a good couple of big names. I'm sure Alpine were probably hoping for a good outing for both of their cars to show their investors, but it just wasn't meant to be. Oscar, on lap 10, 23 laps after Esteban on DNF, was told that he was going to have to retire. And McLaren later said that he had damage to his radiator and a water leak after that contact with Esteban Ocon. So a very, very early incident for both of those drivers, just ended up meaning they were both going to have to retire from the race. We had some interesting strategy calls from Max and Lando and Lewis, three of them running fairly comfortably at the front of the race, to be honest. Lando Norris had a very, very good start and was able to pull away from the Ferrari. And then Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen were just trying to catch up with him. Max was the first one out of those three to pit. He was really banking on an undercut. Then it was Lando. And then Mercedes ended up opting to keep Lewis Hamilton out for a little bit longer, which I don't particularly think ended up working in their favour. But we will talk about Mercedes and their strategy in a little bit. After that, though, I think it was just a lot of strategy going on. 
the usual battles until about lap 49 when Alonso reported that he had rear suspension failure. Aston Martin said that they couldn't actually see anything wrong with his suspension but later got back to him and said yeah there looks to be a problem with your floor and on lap 50 he pitted and retired from the race and that was our third and final DNF from the United States Grand Prix. Alex Albon ended up getting a five second time penalty because of track limits and as far as I can tell at the moment he is the only driver that got a time penalty for track limits. Slightly surprised at that one. We did have a couple of drivers getting in lap times deleted because of track limits. I think Kevin Magnussen got a black and white flag and Logan Sargent. George Russell and Lewis Hamilton, I know, were close to getting a black and white flag, but didn't. So yeah, only Alex Albon out of all those drivers are getting that five-second time penalty, which was cutting for him and for Williams. The top three from the United States Grand Prix ended up being, yes, Max Verstappen in P1. I don't think that was ever in doubt. Lewis Hamilton in P2 and then Lando Norris in P3. There was, I think, a point where a lot of us were quite unsure with the Mercedes strategy call whether or not Lewis would be able to get P2. But McLaren made a choice in Lando Norris's final stop to put him on the hard tyres. Lewis Hamilton went onto the mediums a couple of laps later at the end of the race and I think that meant that he just had the speed and the grip to get past Lando Norris quite, I wouldn't say easily, but it was easier than it would have been had it been on the hard tyres and I think that's what really helped him seal that P2. Gutting for Lando Norris though, who was leading the race for quite a couple of laps. I know a lot of people are waiting for this man to get his first Grand Prix win. He was celebrating 100 race starts along with George Russell this weekend. He is currently the driver with the most amount of points and no Grand Prix win. And I think for a lot of people, it's quite shocking when you think that Lando Norris has yet to win a Grand Prix. He's a driver that has the calibre to win GPs that a lot of people would have expected at this point in his career that he would have won a GP. And he's always close. He's always almost there, but there's just something that ends up not working out for him. But still, it was P3 and another podium for him, which is nothing to lock your nose up at. Max Verstappen, though, in winning the United States Grand Prix, also won his 50th ever Grand Prix. And it does mean he ends up joining a very elite list of people who have won 50 or more Grand Prix. And that list includes Lewis Hamilton, Michael Schumacher, Sebastian Vettel and Alain Prost. And I think those are the four people that are on that list along with Max Verstappen. I don't actually think there's anyone else. So a very memorable weekend for him. It's been a memorable year for him, to be honest. Now I did have to come back the day after I recorded this podcast because I recorded it Sunday night, pretty much straight after the GP had finished. But as soon as I had shut my laptop lid and was done for the day, I'd opened my phone and seen the news alert that yes, Lewis Hampton and Charles Leclerc were being investigated or their cars were being investigated. They were picked for random checks by the FIA post-race, which is what the FIA will normally do is pick four cars at random to just have a look at and make sure that they're following all the rules and regulations and what they found in those checks was that the wooden beam that sits underneath the car was actually thinner than what it should be 
that was essentially going to mean that those cars were running too low during the race weekend and therefore breaking the rules. They've got to have a minimum ride height. And because of that, around, I don't know, I woke up to this news. So I think it was around 1, 2 a.m. British time. The FIA had said that Charles Leclerc and Lewis Hamilton had been disqualified from the United States Grand Prix. So I've had to come back to this podcast episode before I can start editing everything just to pop this in because yes, this is changing what the grid is like, who got points, what the constructors is looking like now and also what the drivers championship is looking like. Two drivers, both who had difficult races in their own respects. For Charles, he was just on a strategy that was awful. A one-stop strategy that just wasn't going to work out for him and had cost him a lot of places in the end, but still drove as well as he possibly could in that Ferrari, given the circumstances, to take home sixth place. And then Lewis Hamilton, who was also not given the best strategy in the world and who had pit stops that were not great, drove absolutely phenomenally to try and catch up with Max Verstappen by the end of the race. Both of those drivers, those efforts have come to nothing. They are walking away from the Grand Prix with no points. But yeah, needed to mention that. Also just going to point out that yeah, in some places, the places and points that I've mentioned about drivers will probably be off by two places now just because that disqualification came in quite late after I recorded the episode. So just keep that in mind. There are a few places where I will bring up the right results again, but just so you guys are aware. But let's get into how each of the teams did. And of course, we're starting with Red Bull Racing. Red Bull in general, I feel this weekend, yes, they won, but it didn't feel as dialed in and as slick as it usually does for Red Bull. Max didn't seem 100% happy with the car from FP1. And just the car itself did not look that happy when Max was driving it. The rear didn't seem to be sticking during the race, especially towards the end. He just wasn't happy on those hard tyres. And I think in general, the hard tyres were an issue for all of the drivers. Everyone who went on them was just saying they weren't lasting as long as they wanted them to. And part of that was going to be down to the fact that the teams hadn't had enough information from practices to really know how that tyre was really going to behave under race conditions. But Max was not happy with it. And I think especially in those last, I think it was four or five laps at the end of the race, when Lewis Hamilton had cleared Lando Norris, had cleared the back marker at Daniel Ricciardo, he had a lot of clean air. He was just really rapidly closing that gap to Max Verstappen. And with an extra lap or two, think he would have been able to pass him, really, or at least be on Max's gearbox. And I don't really know what happened to Max during those last couple of laps, whether the tyres really just weren't happy and were giving up. I wouldn't say it's a tyre deck issue, because one, the Red Bull is very, very nice on its tyres, and two, he was on hard tyres. They should have lasted longer. Lewis was the one that was on the medium tyres that were more likely to degrade quicker. But yeah, it wasn't the most flawless weekend for Red Bull and for Max Verstappen. It was one of the victories he's had to work harder for this season. I think the gap ended up being 2.2 seconds by the end of the race. And we've seen this guy win with 30 seconds in hand. So yeah, wasn't the easiest race for him, but still a race win. Sergio Perez, on the other hand, he is consistent in where he is 
And I can't see much different from what I said last week. Yes, he's in the points. I mean, he has taken home a much better points haul from this race than he did last time at Inkata. In Qatar, he took home one point over that whole weekend and that was over a sprint weekend as well. This weekend was a lot better for him. Still not a brilliant weekend though. His battle for P2 in the championship has been made a little bit easier by the fact that Lewis Hamilton has now been disqualified from the race. It means that that gap is a little bit bigger than what it was going to be had Lewis managed to keep that P2 in the car being legal. So on average, now I worked out that I think Lewis needs to score on average just over 9 points. It's like 9.1, 9.4 or something in order to take P2 in the championship and needs to do that for the next four races. Now that isn't impossible. We still have a sprint weekend coming up when we go to Brazil in two weeks time. But yes, I think that has saved Sergio's bacon just a little bit there. Talking about Lewis and Mercedes, they obviously had that brand new floor coming in, that new upgrade that I think Mercedes fans were hoping were going to give the team, if not some speed, at least some good direction for the 2024 season. And that was what I was hoping for. I'm at a point now with Mercedes where I'm not looking for miracles. I'm not expecting upgrades to bring mass amounts of speed. But what I am hoping is that we do get onto the right course for the 2024 car. And the results from Cota, from an outside perspective, I think were inconclusive for a couple of reasons, right? And yes, Lewis got P2 in the sprint, P2 in the race, which amazing, amazing results. And we will talk about him, but this is a circuit that Lewis absolutely adores and he does very, very well at. He knows it very well, which is going to play a part. And slow and medium speed corners are okay for Mercedes. They don't do too badly in them. And then we also have the comparison of his teammate in George Russell, who didn't do as well as we would expect. Lewis and George are more evenly matched normally on a race weekend. And this weekend was not the case for them. Now, this is future Syra coming back to talk about Lewis's weekend again. But by and large, what I had originally said when I recorded this podcast episode has not changed. I still think Lewis had a really phenomenal weekend. FP1 was very clean for him. Sprint quality and the sprint were good for him, as well as quality and the actual race. Historically for Lewis, at least in this season, sprint quality has not been great for him. He struggled to get into SQ3 and he ends up having quite a good time racing during the actual sprint because he's not starting as high up on the grid. This sprint quality though, he did really, really well to end up in that top three. So that doesn't change anything. That disqualification that he got doesn't change the fact that he still had a really, really good race weekend. But absolutely disappointing that that P2 was taken away from him considering how hard he worked. He was working with a strategy that wasn't great, with pit stops that weren't great. So he was having to compensate for those things. Sadly, there is nothing he can do about the fact that Mercedes were not within regulations with his car. There is no fault of his own. That is something you would expect Mercedes to keep an eye on. They are a top team and the same goes with Ferrari. The argument is made that yes, Cota was very, very bumpy and it was a sprint weekend. So there was a lot more wear and tear on those floors. But it is just 
disappointing overall for Lewis, who, especially I think after Qatar, after Qatar where he had had that incident with George Russell, held his hands up and said it was his own fault. And he said in his post-race interview that it was hard after Qatar because he felt he had let down the team. And you're having to shift your mindset then again to be like, nope, I can come back into this. I can fight. I can do this, right? So it is really, really hard in that respect to have come away from Qatar with no points and a few slap incidents. So you weren't even driving in the race. To come out to Kota, a circuit that he loves. He loves America. He's historically done well here. He's won championships in Kota. To have these new upgrades with the floor, which look to be working for him, to know it's a sprint weekend, to know that he could close in on Sergio Perez this weekend after missing out on points in Qatar, and to only come away with three points from the sprint, and that's it. That's all he's coming away with. It's hard and it's disappointing, and I can't imagine how he must be feeling and his side of the garage must be feeling about this, but a less than optimal result for Lewis Hamilton this weekend. George just had a weekend where he seemed to struggle though and yeah, like I said, they're normally a much more evenly matched pair. Him and Lewis normally have lap times, quality times, sprint quality times that are just closer together usually, but he just didn't seem to be on the pace this weekend and he doesn't know why, he said himself, he's not sure. Mercedes said, yeah, there's nothing really wrong with the car, he's not carrying damage, we don't really know why. Maybe it's just taken him a little bit more time to get used to the floor and the way the car feels because of it. But yeah, not his best weekend. Mercedes as a whole, though, really needs to keep an eye on what their strategy is doing and what their pit stops are doing. Very, very slow stops for Lewis Hamilton. During his pit stops, they were both over three seconds, which definitely cost him time against Max Verstappen could have made it a lot easier for him to overtake and probably would have overtaken had those pit stops not taken as long. And in terms of strategy, I think it was that first stint for Lewis that really messed him up. But definitely some questionable choices for Mercedes. And I think one where they really will look back in hindsight and think we could have won that and we didn't. Moving on to Ferrari, it was just a mixed bag for them. Now, their pace looked quite good in the sprint. Not the best, but it looked decent. There was a very questionable choice to put Carlos Sainz on the soft tyres for the sprint race. Everyone else was on mediums. Tyre deck is high at the Cirque of the Americas. So, I mean, yeah, he was going to have a good couple of laps at the start. And as predicted, he definitely felt behind him was getting overtaken. And then for Charles, and I mean, when I was originally recording this podcast episode, I felt bad enough for him anyway to go from pole position down to sixth place. Ferrari had him on a horrible strategy. I don't know what they were thinking. I think it was a one-stop strategy in the end. Regardless, they just had him out on sets of tyres for so, so long on a circuit that has high tyre deck anyway where drivers were complaining about how hard the circuit was on their tyres. They left him out and he was just losing so much time to cars that had fresher tyres on for him. And he was not happy with this strategy either. You could hear him down the radio. He was not pleased with what Ferrari were doing, what they were pulling with him that weekend. And then we add to the fact that this man got disqualified from the race. So he worked as hard as he could with the strategy he was given. A lot like Lewis, it was working against him. 
His strategy was way, way worse than Lewis's, in my opinion. There was no way that was going to work well. But he did everything he could with it. Drove the wheels off of that Ferrari as much as he physically could. And it came to nothing. I just feel awful for both of the drivers because this is legitimately, through no fault of their own, have they been disqualified from the race. This is purely something to do with their team and the way that the circuit has been laid out and how bumpy it is and the sprint race so really nothing to blame for either drivers here they were doing everything they could in the race and for Charles it hurts even more because this was his 100th race with Ferrari 100 races with a team that he has always dreamt of being a part of this man waxes lyrical about Ferrari his heart bleeds for Ferrari and he gets disqualified in his 100th race with them I don't even know what to say anymore, guys. In terms of Lance's breaks in FP1, apparently they just got the simulation wrong. There was way too much blocking that reduced the airflow to the brakes, and it meant that the brakes were basically on fire during FP1, and that's why they had to pull him into the pits and he wasn't able to run any longer in practice. They had this big upgrade package coming into Austin that just didn't seemed like it fully worked. Lance did manage to finish in P9, so to go from a pit lane start to P9 is promising, don't get me wrong, but over this weekend, they've just felt like they were in no man's land. They feel like they're in a place where they're not really sure what is going on with their car. So like Mercedes were at the beginning of the season, that's almost what it feels like with Aston Martin at the moment. They have said goodbye to P4 in the constructors. McLaren have overtaken them this weekend. They're sitting with 239 points. Aston Martin have got 232. And I don't think they're going to be reclaiming P4 in the constructors either. They will stay at P5. Alpine and 6 are still way, way too far back. Alpine have only got 96 points. But yeah, this weekend in particular, just a bit of a mess for them. And it will be very interesting to see what they do in terms of upgrades and which spec of car they're going to use in Mexico. McLaren, now they had gone into the weekend saying they weren't expecting much. Lando Norris had said the car which struggles normally in low speed corners, which Texas has a lot of, so they weren't expecting miracles. But they actually had a very, very good weekend overall. Now, this was a weekend I think Oscar struggled with a little bit more. Picking up damage in the sprint and the race just was not great for him, right? And it, it wrecked it, especially the race where he DNF. Lando, though, had very very good pace this weekend so McLaren are just showing that yes they are improving the car it's getting better and even the low speed corners even if they're not performing that well in them it's not completely stopping their car from being able to compete at the front gutting that yes Lando Norris wasn't able to really fight for the win especially during those last couple of laps I think McLaren just went the wrong way in the tyres that they saved for him over the weekend. They'd opted to keep a second set of new hard tyres back. Most teams were keeping another set of mediums and it just didn't work out for them because the hard tyres weren't performing as well as any of the teams wanted. Alpine... Look, Pierre Gasly got P8. Esteban Ocon had his third DNF in five races. I want to say this is his seventh TNF this season I feel like it is the seventh I'm pretty sure we got the sixth I'm losing count guys I'm pretty sure this is the seventh 
regardless, there's a lot of DNFs for a man to go through. And I feel awful for him. He has just had awful luck this season. But I think what makes it worse is, yeah, Pierre Gasly in P8. It just looked like the car had a better running at the Circuit of the Americas. The Alpine itself is just unpredictable. But the USGP seemed like it was a better circuit for them. So I think doubly disappointing that Esteban Ocon just wasn't able to run his race and get a couple of points there. Williams, I mentioned Alex Albon getting that five-second time penalty. Logan Sargent ended up in P12, so not a bad race from him. He had a couple of good overtakes that we saw. I'm hoping this will be a better trajectory for him for the rest of the season. Williams itself, this wasn't an awful race for them. Definitely wasn't one of their best, though. Could have been a different story for Alex Albon had he have started higher up. Maybe, I mean, I think he extracted pretty much all he could from the car. But yeah, for Logan Sargent, I'm hoping this will be a very good trajectory for him in the next four races that helps him to secure his seat. An addendum to this particular part, this is one of the ones I had to come back and just correct because it is big news for Logan Sargent. The disqualification of Lewis Hamilton and Charles Leclerc did mean that he got promoted into the points. Logan Sargent has finally scored his first points in Formula One. And regardless of the fact that it was due to a disqualification, what a phenomenal result for him. Alfa Romeo had a bit of a quiet weekend. Now, I had high hopes for them between their upgrade package... That seemed to work quite well, especially in Qatar after that double points finish. I was hoping they would do better here as well. Didn't manage it though. They had a battle with Williams on track for a little while, which is also their battle in the constructors at this point, but just a quiet weekend from them. Looking at Haas, their upgrades did look to be working, right? Especially with their straight line speed, where it didn't seem to work, at least I think in the sprint race was tyre deck. Now that was something Kevin Magnussen was hoping would be improved with these upgrades. Potentially with some more fine tuning and everything, we might see that happen. But their drivers finished in P13 and P16. So I don't know whether their upgrades were making the difference they wanted to, or whether those upgrades just weren't suited to this particular track. And then finally, Alpha Tauri. Daniel Ricciardo did finish in last place of the runners, of the 16, nope, 17 runners that were going. He finished in last, but he did do quite a long stint on the hard tyres and then went on to the softs. So potentially more of a learning weekend for him, especially considering how much that car has changed since he was in it last. But for Yuki Tsunoda... He finished in P10, that was one point, and then got the fastest lap. So a second point for him in this race weekend. Yuki apparently in his post-race interviews and the post-race show was saying that he wasn't actually told beforehand to go for the fastest lap. He was called into the pits towards the end of the race and he thought he was going to need to retire until he saw them put the soft tyres on him and then realised, yep. They were going for a fastest lap, but he managed to do that on the very last lap of the race. So congratulations to him. Overall, I do think the upgrades that AlphaTauri are bringing are making them stronger. And it is small, slow steps for them. But I feel like they are going in the right direction, which is the most important thing. 
to have both cars in Q2 during qualifying, to have Yuki up in the points and being able to go for fastest lap. Hopefully this will be good for them. I know AlphaTauri have been a team that have just struggled really, really badly this season. So hopefully we will see some improvements and 2024, they'll be able to build on these upgrades. See, now originally when I spoke about my driver of the day, I did disagree with you guys in saying that it was Lando Norris. I chose Lewis Hamilton because as well as Lando did in this weekend and I'm not taking away from the work that he's done in that McLaren and how well he had done I just think Lewis had a phenomenal weekend one of his best race weekends up until the disqualification and it's so hard because okay it might not make sense to give a driver who got disqualified driver of the day but for me I still want to give it to Lewis because like I've mentioned the plank issue and the disqualification was not down to a driver fault it was down to a team fault. And regardless of all of that, I still think he just had an incredible weekend as a whole, guys. It is gutting that he's obviously will not come away with it without anything at all. He's still got three points, but he's come away with literally the bare minimum. Had this not been a sprint weekend, he would not be coming away with any points at all. Regardless, I just, I don't think I can really give it to anyone else. And if I can't give it to Lewis Hamilton because he's been disqualified, then I don't really know who to give it to because my heart heart is still telling me Lewis Hamilton is my driver of the day. And I think that just about sums up the United States Grand Prix. Sprint race wasn't that interesting, but I definitely think that the race itself gave us a lot more, especially that fight at the front. And it has been a while since we've seen a really good fight at the front. Lando, Max and Lewis really given us a lot of entertainment at the front and then we saw some battles going on at the back. But that is the first race in this triple header done. Next weekend we head out to Mexico for the Mexican Grand Prix. It is Sergio Perez's home race. I am 100% sure he's gonna be hoping that he has a better outing there than he has had in the past couple of races. And I really hope he does for himself, his home fans, his family. I hope he has a really, really good race out in Mexico. It is not a sprint weekend, thankfully. So we're back to normal Grand Prix race weekends next weekend. So make sure you join me next Tuesday at 9am so we can have a chat about the Mexican Grand Prix. Thank you guys so much for listening and Dios and Vow. Make sure you follow me on TikTok and Instagram at stewards underscore office where I post a bunch of Formula 1 content daily and I will see you guys the next time you're summoned to the stewards office.